All right, so now we're recording. You should get a little button saying you're mm -hmm. willing to be recorded. Mm -hmm. Remember, this is only for the audio. We're not using the video. We're not going to put this up on YouTube. This will just be for the audio for our 501c3bs podcast, which um, I'm sure many of you are fans of and listen to ardently. <laughs> but it's a podcast. <laughs> You're going to waste all this handsomeness and beauty? <laughs> it's a podcast about all things uh, having to do with nonprofits and all the mythology of our sector and how we can get around that. Welcome to the G3X Conversations from the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at Cal State University Fullerton's College of Business and Economics. And that is a mouthful. And I am your host, Zoop Velasco. All right, so now it's time for me to introduce our guest, and I'm very excited because Paul was supposed to be our speaker, uh, along with Michael McCarty, who's here today. We're supposed to be speakers for me at our conference that we do in August, the G3X conference, and that conference, of course, was canceled due to COVID. I'm not sure, actually, if we're going to bring it back. We may just continue these Zoom conversations because they've been very successful, in some ways more successful than the conference. But what we're talking about today is story planning. And uh, the, the explanation of that given to me by Paul is exploring the space between what is and what could be using storytelling methods to think differently when communicating new ideas. Now, I got to tell you, I first met Paul because... Sta uh, Stephanie L. Smith, who is the social media lead for JPL and NASA, um, came as our 2019 guest speaker to our conference to speak about social media. And for those who don't know, JPL, NASA's social media has won Emmy Awards and Webby Awards. It's one of the top social media feeds in the world. And um, to have the person who runs that come and speak was a big deal for us. And after that, I met through Stephanie Paul, and he said, hey, I'm an alumni. What do you, when am I going to get my chance to speak? And I was thrilled when I found out what he did, because um, as Michael will tell you, I am an old storyteller myself, and I love the idea of planning through story, which is not, I mean, we think about story as it relates to marketing. We think about story as it relates to fundraising. We but we never think about story as it relates to planning. And so Paul's going to change all of that today for all of you. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to our guest today. Give him a virtual round of applause with your emojis or <laughs> however you want to do it with, uh, to our guest, Paul Propster. Hey, thanks, Zoot. And uh, thanks, everybody, for, for joining us. Before we get started, we did have a couple of really cool things happen that we're still sort of basking in the afterglow here at the lab. Um, so we had, you know, our rover uh, land, which successfully landed, and that was just amazing. Um, we had cameras for the first time, right, to really let folks see um, the, what we call EDL, the entry, descent, and the landing, um, which was, you know, just a phenomenal idea. It was the right kind of crazy, as NASA told us when we wrote our story about this. Um, and then, you know, about a month or so after that, we had our helicopter, right? So the rover in the bottom right dropped off the helicopter. And then just on Monday, it, it, it did its little uh, test flight, um, kind of felt like the Wright brothers, right? Kind of uh, 
doing something for the first time on another planet. So um, can I just just say that for those people listening on the podcast that aren't seeing the slides, you're showing wonderful pictures of the rover on Mars that just recently landed. So again, I'm Paul Propster. I work in the Office of Formulation uh, at the lab. And uh, in, in that role, we have the privilege and honor of seeing every idea that comes to the lab, right? And we get involved with every mission concept story. And uh, so Heck is a story architect. Well, <laughs> it was uh, actually, I created that title and role to help communicate the idea that just like a mission, stories need to be formulated or built. And um, I've been fortunate to be able to introduce several methods and strategic partnerships to kind of help raise the the storytelling literacy of the lab. And we're gonna talk about a few of those methods today. Um, But first I wanna mention a couple of our latest mission stories that completed their final review steps with NASA headquarters last week. And um, so we'll talk about the first one, which is Veritas. So uh, this is a mission to Mars, or sorry, mission to Venus. And uh, we're gonna map the entire planet. And part of the story here is that Venus should be the next programmatic planet. So like Mars, um, it was sort of rediscovered once we had newer instruments that, hey, there's a lot of stuff going on at Mars. And we feel it's Venus's time now as well, that we haven't been there for 30 years, If we can go with some updated instruments and map the entire uh, planet, uh, we think it'll have a lot to to show us, for us to learn. And uh, the next one that's in its final stages is Trident. So now this is kind of different. Instead of kind of our next door neighbor, this is a trip all the way out to Neptune's moon Triton. And uh, Triton is a captured Kuiper belt object. We have our asteroid belt here, but then outside at the edges of our solar system is the Kuiper belt. And so this is kind of bringing one of those objects a little bit closer uh, to us. And the key part of the story here is now or never. The way, there's the current window that's gonna allow us with the alignment of the planets and we, we get these gravity assists from different planets to help us get out to places that all these things are gonna be in alignment and that this is gonna be the time to go and in one pass, be able to map this, this moon called Triton. And um, with, with the help of sunshine and also Neptune shine. So all these things um, have to be in place and they won't be in place for another decade or so if, if we don't go now. And so um, this kind of creates a type of urgency, right? For, for, for headquarters. So how are they gonna decide? What are they going to do? I work in a place where there's a universe of what ifs. And we get lots of folks who wanna partner with JPL to do science missions from space. And you know, how do we decide you know, what we're gonna do between this idea or that idea? And it really has become a competition of ideas. So how do we get from hundreds of ideas to the right idea? How do we get um, our stakeholders to believe our tomorrow over somebody else's? 
And these ideas for missions, sometimes they won't return science for, for 30 years after we get the award, right? Because we've got to build these instruments. We've got to build these spacecraft. Sometimes the cruise is, is 20 years, like for Neptune. It's going to take 18 to 20 years to get there um, before we actually see the, the return. So what makes them stand out? And so what we've learned from the feedback uh, especially from NASA and also from the science of story and, and how we relate to story as humans, is that if we can create an emotional investment, an emotional connection to our idea, that this critical review process um, kind of decreases as the emotional investment increases. And so if, if we can make this science, uh, as our friends at Disney say, gettable, if we can get them rooting for us early in this review process, they will become partial to our science. And some of that critical assessment um, doesn't necessarily go away, but it gets, it gets diminished and helps us to maybe rise above some of the other ideas that, uh, that NASA is considering. All right. So let me kind of talk about um, a, a recent example of this. So, so going back to Trident, um, so Trident had to do a two-step process. There was step one, which is a small proposal. Then you get down selected to step two, which is a much larger effort, right? So you go from maybe a 200 page proposal to a thousand page proposal. But to get to step two, obviously you gotta get past step one. And so the actual feedback from NASA was this approach has significant inherent risk in that a single flyby may not collect sufficient observations to achieve all of Trident's objectives, right? And so it didn't get the top rating, it got the second rating. And it's, and it's pretty rare for something to get a, 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 a cat two rating instead of a cat one and get selected to move ahead. But if I continue with the feedback, um, which led to the cat two rating, however, this weakness is outweighed by the potential for science return. So their story, we were able to influence, convince, uh, get folks emotionally invested in this concept. And so we were able to overcome some weaknesses. And so that potential for science return, just, just kind of keep that in the back of your minds because um, we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. Another thing I'm gonna touch on is, is curiosity, okay? And as, uh, as Zoot pointed out, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about you know, the what is and the what could be. And so scientists, technologists usually come to us in the formulation office with the what is, the, the thing they want to change. They, they wanna improve our understanding of. And they also have an idea of the what could be. Where could we go? What will we learn? How will we get there? Who is the team to do this? Okay, and they're very excited about that. But what lies between the what is and the what could be, you know, is the story, the why. Why do we have to do this now? And so well, I kind of look at that as the curiosity gap, right? And uh, so, like I said, we're going we're gonna to talk about this gap here a little bit more, but I do want to just touch on curiosity a little bit. Uh, a colleague of ours, uh, Francisca Gino, um, who is the Tandon Family Professor of Business Administration, Harvard Business School, 
She's the chair of negotiation, organization, and markets. And she's the co-chair of behavioral economics executive education program. She had this great article in the Harvard Business Review back in October of 2018 about the business case for curiosity. And as you can see here, um, her research discovered most of the breakthrough discoveries and remarkable inventions throughout history are a result of curiosity. Also that when we are curious, we view touch, tough situations more creatively. And, uh, and one example of this is, uh, is this feller. Albert Einstein. And, uh, you know, he, here's a guy who helped creatively answer some pretty tough questions. And this is his quote. I'm neither especially clever nor especially gifted. I'm only very, very curious. And, um, and then I also uh, am a big fan of Imagine Entertainment. And so this is Brian Grazer. And, um, you know, movies such as Cocoon, Apollo 13, A Beautiful Mind. In 2015, he wrote a book called A Curious Mind. And he basically shared that he would not be where he is today without being curious. And, and, and I, would, I would venture to guess that most of us on the, the line here wouldn't be where we are today if, if we weren't curious about things. And he, he kind of describes curiosity as this quiet kind of power. It's kind of a cumulative power that you build up, right? Um, as you're more and more curious, things just kind of cumulatively build up and, 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 you, and you learn things and, and you start to investigate even more and more. So here's what we're gonna talk about a little bit today. We're gonna talk about these three areas, okay? The science story, uh, thinking differently, and, and maybe a little exercise on, on uh, how to build your core story for your new idea. So science of story, uh, we're going to work with our, our colleague here, Kendall Haven. So Kendall is a story consultant, uh, master storyteller, author of a great book called Story Proof, uh, the science behind the startling power of story. And so, you know, and he's worked with uh, folks from DARPA, you know, a lot of different folks. And so in his research, uh, he has two kind of basic questions here. How does the human brain make sense of incoming information and experience? And then once it makes sense, how does it then create meaning from that information? So what Kendall, uh, some of the results of his, of his uh, research was every communication is an economic event, okay? And so, you wanna buy your audiences or your stakeholders attention in order to deliver your idea or your concept. They'll pay with their attention to be engaged. And so engagement is the gateway to influence. Okay, so we've gotta make sure our audiences are engaged. And we're gonna talk about some ways to, to help make that happen. And then he also had another, uh, another great uh, point in his research is it's not, did I say what I wanted to say, but it's, did they hear what I need them to hear? Okay. And, um, and we see this all the time at the lab. We'll be um, helping a team develop their story. And then we'll bring in some outsiders to review that story. And without a doubt, one of the engineers will come up when somebody says, you know, I really didn't get part X and how you're going to do that. And the engineer will grab a copy of the, of, the, of the proposal and he'll say, it's right here on page five paragraph. And the, I, but, but the point is they're not hearing it. You know, you think you said it, but it's not coming across, okay? So another thing that Kendall points out is 
human brains are physically hardwired to make sense of incoming information and experience in specific story terms or elements. As humans, we're gonna distort incoming information in order to make it make sense to us. And the story your audience sees and hears is most likely not the story that you said and applying some effective story structure to your information can help minimize uh, this distortion. So now we're gonna talk a little bit about thinking differently about um, how you communicate, how you, how you put your story together. So this comes from a couple of folks that, we, that we've been uh, partnering with. So Alan Alda has a, a learning center out at Stony Brook University, uh, the Learning Center for Science Communication. And then of course we're here in, in lovely Southern California. So we're able to get access to industry uh, Disney and, and Pixar folks. So we're gonna walk through some of the advice that we've been able to glean from them. At the Alda Center, relate to communicate is, is, a, big, is a big kind of their, their big overview. So relating to your audience, having your idea, relate to a reviewer, a stakeholder, et cetera. So a couple of the challenges that we'll quickly talk about today when you're planning your story is, is one voice and the curse of knowledge and complexity and how to maybe deal with those. Paul led us through an exercise where each person in the room adds a word to create a full story or sentence. The point of the exercise was for us to actively listen to what was happening and to be able to add elements, including being the one who only gets to say the the or and, the small words, not the big words, and that's okay too. The next thing we want to talk about here is um, the curse of knowledge, okay? So this term, I'll give you a little background, was actually coined by a bunch of economists back in 1989. And uh, they applied it to a phenomenon in economics in order to explain why and how the assumption that better informed agents can accurately anticipate the judgments of lesser informed agents is not inherently true. So the reason is said to be that the better informed agents fail to ignore the privileged knowledge that they possess and are thus cursed and unable to sell their products at a value that more naive agents would deem acceptable. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna try another little um, exercise here and what I'd like to ask is, I need one person who's pretty familiar with baseball, right? Understands the game. So, so who can be that person? Any takers? But this is not a baseball audience, Paul. I'm sorry. Well, come on. It's Cal State Fullerton. Come on. They've got a great <laughs> baseball organization. I'll, I'll go. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Michael. Okay. Then the flip side should be pretty easy then. Now we need someone who isn't very familiar with baseball. I, I Anybody? Can, I, I can, I can be a sports know nothing. That's easy for me. There you go. All right. Thank you, Lisa. Okay. So <laughs> Michael and Lisa, what's going to happen is on the next slide, there's going to be a, a, um, a, a description of a, of a baseball event that's happening. So Michael, as the quote expert, you are going to explain this situation to Lisa and the potential excitement as to what's going on here so that she gets it and, and she's excited about what's happening. Okay. okay? So here we go. Uh, Red Sox, boo. <laughs> so as you can see at the bottom there, Michael, please uh -huh. describe the situation and the potential excitement 
of uh, Derek Jeter getting a base hit. See, what you got to understand, Lisa, is that Red Sox and the Yankees hate each other. Their fans hate each other. The cities hate each other. There's a whole <laughs> lot of hate going on. I hate the Red Sox. So Jeter, the team captain of the Yankees, he's a full count. If he makes the right hit, they go win. If he doesn't, they go lose. Lose to the hated Red Sox. Ah! So, uh, Lisa, is there anything on this slide that maybe you don't understand or did Michael explain everything and are you as excited as Michael? Okay, I'm getting the emotion. I'm feeling the hate. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm not clear on what, the, like, I, I do kind of know what it is, but like, what's a full count? That means that there's two strikes. There's three balls, uh, two strikes. Yep, three balls. Three balls. Now, if he, if he swings and misses, it's over. If he swings and hit and he hits safely, woohoo! Okay. <laughs> if if you're if you're a Jeter fan. Jeter, Yankees, yes. That right. means that you're the good person. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. See, I go I go by good looking with baseball. So it's you know, all bets are off. And Jeter's okay, so yeah, all right, I'll go with that. All right. <laughs> a convert. The convert. <laughs> any any other questions, Lisa, for, for Michael? Well, if you were I mean, I know what a strike is, and I know and I know what it what if you what if you hit the ball and and it didn't and didn't go fair? Then what happens? Yeah, if it didn't go fair, you get another shot. Okay. As long as it's not caught. So then it's just a do-over. Yep. Yes, yes. 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 Look at you rocking in fullness. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Well, okay. Well, thanks you guys. Thank you so much for, for, for participating. So, you know, I think what we, what we see here is Michael being kind of the expert or being connected to baseball. He sees that excitement right away. Right. And he knows exactly what's going to happen, but trying to explain that to Lisa, you know, there, there's some jargon in here, right? You know, the bottom of the ninth inning, a base is loaded, um, you know, a full count, the plate. You know, there may be some things that help set the context that that are not coming across because they're jargony, right? And 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 Lisa, someone who doesn't know baseball, um, wouldn't be able to get that excitement. And so we just, yeah, Eric, go ahead. Thanks, Paul. Sorry for coming late. Um, yeah, I was a high school teacher. So, you know, setting context is a big thing to getting people to buy in. I'm automatically thinking the natural, the final scene. Yeah. He's up to bat. Yep. You know, yep. to get that real imperative, he's got to do it. And he's bleeding. So it's even like That's physical right. pain. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a very exciting moment as well. Another exciting yeah. baseball moment. Um, so th those were the couple of points here was just about the context, the jargon, and, um, you know, going from things that are familiar to maybe things that are a little more complex. So you can kind of take your audience along with you and, uh, and not jump right into maybe some things they don't quite understand. All right.
Thanks, you guys. Okay, another thing, another topic is uh, complexity, right? And so our friends over at, at Pixar, I love this, this quote from Andrew Stanton, you know, give them four, give them two plus two. So when Stanton started understanding this storytelling device was when he was working with Bob Peterson on Finding Nemo, and we're gonna, we're gonna touch on Nemo a little bit later. Um, and he would call this the unifying theory of two plus two. So make the audience put things together, right? Don't give them four, but give them two plus two. So again, break down those thoughts into maybe a little more bite-sized chunks um, so folks can understand your, your new idea or your new concept, okay? We're born problem solvers, right? We, we, we're compelled to deduce and deduct kind of like with the earlier exercise because that's what we do in real life. So the elements that you provide in your story and the order you place them in is crucial, right? To whether you succeed or fail at engaging the audience. So editors and screenwriters have known this all along and it's kind of the invisible glue that kind of holds our attention uh, to a story. And another critical part of, of planning and, and, and writing your story is, is feedback. So um, we, we encourage folks at the lab to think of feedback in this way, that it's taking something great and making it greater than one person can create on their own. And so, um, you know, we always encourage them to seek it out, embrace it, okay? Um, our friends at, at Disney call this plussing. And the way they define that is plussing is in the service of the trajectory of the idea or message, right? To just make sure it's on track. And a lot of times when you're in the middle of it, you can kind of lose, lose that. And so a great example of this is the first Star Wars, right? Star Wars A New Hope. So it's February, 1977. George Lucas screens the current version he has to a couple of his buddies, Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, Brian De Palma, okay? They all hate it, okay? They, they think it's terrible. They, they, they think it's, you know, it's bloated. And, and the first act is just, it, it, it's not drawing folks in. And uh, so they make a bunch of suggestions. They cut a ton of material to help create clarity. They restructure scenes and entire sequences to, it, 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 in the purpose of propelling the story forward. So Lucas, sorry. So, so he takes all their feedback and just a few months later in May, May 25th, 1977, Star Wars, A New Hope is released and the rest is history. So always, always, you know, get feedback as you're starting your way through developing your story because um, outside eyes will really, really help you keep it on that trajectory that you want it to be on. So uh, this last part is going to be a little bit about maybe how to help start your, your core story um, as, you, as you begin writing. And so... Um, this comes from our friends over at, over at Pixar. And uh, so we've met with them several times. And one of the things that resonated with me that I thought we could apply to the lab was um, a, a deep structure of storytelling. Um, you may be familiar with it, uh, especially my friend, Michael over there, my new friend, Michael. Uh, you know, once upon a time there was, or if you have kids, every day, one day, because of that, because of that, and until finally. 
And so they use this as a, a tool for them early in the story process, story development process, because they want to relate to folks from the boardroom to the playground, okay? So we're gonna look at an example of one of these and we're gonna go back to Nemo here. So Pixar story artist Emma Coates shared the six sentence template for Nemo. And if you've seen the movie, I think you'll, you'll see by the time we get through these six sentences that this, this kind of really does encapsulate the, the core story of that movie. Here's the six sentences. Once upon a time, there was a widowed fish named Marlin who was extremely protective of his only son, Nemo. Every day, Marlin warned Nemo of the ocean's dangers, implored him not to swim far away. One day in an act of defiance, Nemo ignores his father's warning and swims into the open water. Because of that, he's captured by a diver and ends up in the fish tank of a dentist in Sydney. Because of that, Marlin sets off on a journey to recover Nemo, enlisting the help of other sea creatures along the way. Until finally, Marlin and Nemo find each other, reunite, and learn that love depends on trust. So if you've seen the movie, I, th I think, you know, that kind of that kind of is the core story. So what we did, we took this and we kind of broke it up a little a little bit to, to help folks uh, here at the lab go from scientist to stakeholder. So here's how we kind of put it together. So we took the first two, right? Once upon a time and every day. And this is the what is, right? So this is kind of what's happening, right? This, this is the, we also think of this as the current state of the art, right? For our science, but this is, this is the what is. And then you have one day, which is that curiosity gap or that, that, that idea, right? They, they thought, gosh, with this going on, I think, you know, I have this idea that could then, because of that idea, could take us to the what could be, right? And then finally, until finally, uh, you have you know some new knowledge that is that that helps fill a knowledge gap, that helps us better understand our mm -hmm. place in the universe, um, and so this is an exercise that that we that we go through um, with our teams early on in their mission concept development phase, right? To really help them get that core story, and so the way we do this is um, we, we go through the, with the teams, we, we talk uh, a little deeper on some of the subjects that we've talked about this morning. We get to the six sentence template. We, when we're in person, we physically hand out a stack of stickies to folks. And we say, with six stickies, you know, write your, your six sentences, okay? One on each sticky. And then they come up and they, they, they read them aloud to the rest of the team and they put them on the big whiteboard until we have something like this. And what we've discovered in this process is that the team doesn't really have a good idea of what their core story is, okay? Which is fine, it's early in the process. But we find that this helps develop a concurrence amongst the team that is going to be writing this story and, 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 and creating this, this mission story to really kind of get on the same page. And the other good thing is you maybe get a sense as to who might be one of the stronger writers creatively um, on the team who could maybe lead writing those first few sections that are going to engage the reviewers and really help them get the science. 
we, we, we didn't part anticipate, you know, how far off the core team would be. And then we also discovered maybe it's the way to find the best person to write that relatable, gettable story. All right. So uh, kind of finally here in, in closing, um, you know, storytelling may seem like an old fashioned tool today. And, and it is. Okay. And that's exactly what makes it so powerful. All right. Life happens in the narratives that we tell one another. And a story can go where quantitative analysis is denied admission, which is our hearts. Okay. And uh, so my final thing is, hey, tomorrow is loading. You know, stay curious out there. Tomorrow needs you and your ideas to shape a better tomorrow. And uh, with that, I just want to thank you for your time. And uh, thanks, Zoot, for the opportunity opportunity to uh to be here today awesome thank you paul so yeah. questions so <laughs> so people in a story in a story planning workshop i'm assuming these are engineers from nasa or partners people yeah, who are, yeah. and so they're All putting the up what they what they're curious about what where we are now what they're curious about where they'd like to see things going and then how do you synthesize that yeah so so these folks are a mix of just as you described, Zoot, you know, scientists, engineers, and uh, technologists. And so uh, a scientist has come to us with kind of this back of the napkin idea as to, hey, I think this would be a great mission to propose to NASA. And so we get that team together and we, we go through this kind of half day workshop where we talk about that core story. So they've talked to each other a little bit, you know, about, hey, would you be on our team? We're thinking about doing this kind of mission. But when we get them in the room and we say, okay, guys, you know, tell us about what you think the mission is about. And here's an exercise we're going to go through to get everybody's sort of sense of where they're at with the mission. So we don't get too far down the road with folks thinking that the mission is X when really maybe it's Y. And we do get some crazy, you know, we get folks who think it's a, uh, a regional mission as opposed to a global mission, let's say if it's an earth uh, focused mission. And so it just really helps the team kind of get on the same page early on in the process, instead of having to correct that later as they, um, as they go through the development phase. Go ahead, uh, so uh, Michael, you had a question. Yeah, um, Paul, you ended with this, this beautiful phrase and I can't remember nothing. And I hope <laughs> could you say <laughs> I got all old timers, okay? So yeah. it was a beautiful <laughs> phrase. And I want I want that. Okay. About the uh, uh going to our hearts? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So um because because we yeah, we deal with this a lot, you know, that, that folks think the quantitative analysis is gonna be enough, right? For for the reviewers to get it. So a story can go where quantitative analysis is denied admission, which is our hearts. Thank you to the Gene Eschy Center for Nonprofit Research, California State University, Fullerton, and the College of Business and Economics for supporting our podcast. Our supporters include the Orange County Community Foundation, Southern California Gas Company, and you, our listeners. 
Thanks for the music provided to us by the California-based Brazilian Coro Ensemble, Grupo Falso Baiano. Have a great week, free from BS. Thank you.